How's everyone doing? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Mike Lee. I'm the development pastor for our network of churches. I'm also the director of our ministers and training program, which we call the MIT program. Uh, they are right now nine of them. They're going through a year-long process in preparation for hoping helping us launch campuses all across our state. So they are uh, doing a great job and everything. About three weeks ago, they got to stand on this stage, and each of them were required to teach a 30-minute lesson. And uh, we assigned them a passage. They had to teach it. And their peers, as well as some of our team, were all in here. We had listening guides, and we were listening to them as far as their, their, their cadence and their gestures and how well they used the stage, the content of the lesson and all that kind of stuff. And then when they came to the end, they had to step down and stand on the floor there, and we got to give them verbal encouragement. Just want to be clear, y'all don't get to do that, okay? Okay. Uh, you just got me, and it's going to be what it's going to be, and you know you can send me an email or something, all right? But we are grateful that you guys are here with us. It is an honor to be able to finish up chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Corey started it last week, and we're going to finish that up today. And there are some really great chapters in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is always one that's lifted up as just an amazing chapter. Many of you know Psalm 23. That's an incredible word from God through David. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is really an amazing chapter as well because it speaks to what truly makes Christianity Christianity because it speaks about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the hope of our resurrection because without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. It means that Jesus is still in the tomb and he was just another man who was crucified on a cross in that time. You know, when Jesus was crucified, there was a guy on either side of him, thieves that were also crucified, but they were still in the ground. Jesus came from the dead, and that's the joy of what we celebrate. There are other, all kinds of religions that say, look, you have to work your way to God to be saved. Christianity is the only one that tells us that God became flesh, died for us so that we can, through him, have eternal life. And so this is what makes Christianity unique. And I know we celebrate it on Resurrection Weekend, but every time we gather, we gather in the name of the risen Jesus Christ to celebrate what he has accomplished for us. And so chapter 15 is all about that resurrection, about the gospel, and then again, that sealing of the truth of the gospel through the resurrection. So last week, Corey, as he was talking about that, reminded us of this fact that we have the promise of a resurrection if we truly believe in Christ's resurrection. So if you are trusting in what Jesus has done through his life, his death, and his resurrection, you too can also have a resurrection. And that is something we're gonna talk a lot about today. Because what we wanna think about today is that the future resurrection, and that's yet to come for us. So the resurrection of Jesus has happened, that happened 2,000 years ago, but for us, that is still yet to come. But if you believe in that, that should free us to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised for us today. So in other words, we don't have to wait until we see Jesus to get the full effect. We can have some of those effects even now in our lives as we live for Jesus Christ because it's the resurrection that changes everything. And we wanna think about that today. So that's what we're gonna kind of be doing. If you came in, you should have received a notes handout. That'll have everything I'm gonna say. Also, everything I say will be on the Experience Community app. If you haven't downloaded that, I'd encourage you to do that. Then you can click on notes. 
and then everything I say will be up on the screen as well. Everybody good? Wow. Come on. I, yes, you know, listen, on the fourth time we teach this, we need help. All right? So, yeah, I need, I need you. There we go. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's pray together, and then we will jump into the rest of chapter 15. And so, our Father, we are grateful for the truth of your word. I am grateful for these men and women that are here today to hear this word. We are grateful that, Lord, you gave your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to raise, be raised from the dead so that we can have the hope of resurrection as well. And we know that because of that, our lives can be changed even today. And so I pray that all across this room that you would change lives for your glory and that through these changed lives, our community will be changed and everything would be changed. Father, I am grateful for the Cannon County campus as uh, Josh preaches there, for the Shovelville campus as Jeremy teaches there. I pray that you'll bless them. Again, as Kyle pray, we want to pray for all the churches in the Middle Tennessee area that proclaim the good news of Jesus, that you would fill them and that people all across the state will be changed today. We are grateful for Feed America First, for the great privilege we have to be able to provide a million meals that are needed for those who are suffering from food necessities. And we pray, Father, that it would not only be food for their stomach, but through the gospel that's preached with the food, that hearts would be changed as well. But today, Lord, we just need your help for this few moments as we're together. Teach us and use us, we pray, in your powerful and wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna begin in verse 35 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And we'll, we'll see what God does with us this morning. So this is what Paul writes. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds, its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So after he's dealt with the issue of the resurrection and the importance of it, Paul anticipates that there are gonna be some questions from the Corinthians, specifically, what will happen when we get these resurrection bodies and what will they look like? Now, the Corinthians had come out of a Greek culture that said that the physical material world was evil, including our physical bodies, and that to be delivered from that physicality into a spiritual realm where there was no tangible touching, no tangible bodies was a better existence. And so Paul is 
going against both the Greek culture and some misunderstandings of what the resurrection was all about. And so he's gonna begin to teach them what these new bodies will be like and what they can expect when the resurrection happens. And just as an aside, when we think about that, a lot of people over history have said that we Christians are afraid of questions, that we are people who check our brains at the door and we are foolishly and kind of uh, simply thinking about things because we want a better world. And yet history has taught us that skeptics and non-believers have come at Christianity for over 2,000 years and Christianity is still standing. So we're not afraid of questions. In fact, if you're here and you're a skeptic or an unbeliever, we are grateful for you to be here. And at the end of our service, we're gonna have actually a pastor over on the side of the stage who you can come up and if you have questions, you can feel free to ask because we're not afraid of questions. And even though we may not sometimes have all the answers, we know people who do and we can go help you find what you're looking for. And so it's okay to ask questions. And we as believers, we need to be prepared for questions about why we believe what we believe. In fact, Peter said in 1 Peter that we need to always have an answer for those who ask about the hope that we have. So questions are okay. And so what we also see in this is that we humans are created in the image of God. So both male and female, we are the only parts of creation that God created that bear the very image of God. We are created in his image and his likeness. But all of creation has the fingerprints of God all over it. And so what Paul does is he says, look, you wanna learn about creation, or excuse me, about resurrection, look at the creation because there are hints of resurrection everywhere you look because God has determined that his creation would bear his fingerprints. David said in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that God's eternal power and his divine nature has been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world. You cannot get away from God. No matter who you are, you think, hey, I'm not having anything to do with God. I don't even believe a God exists. It doesn't matter. God has proven himself in everything you see and do. You can't go to the ocean. You can't look at the stars. You can't see nature at work. You can't look at human beings and not know. There has to be something more than just accidental processes of some kind of evolutionary process. There is special working of God and design and intelligence at work that has to be understood. And so Paul says, look, you wanna know about creation? Think about nature. So the Corinthians, they understood about aging and death. They knew what that looked like. They could see people's bodies decaying and they could see and feel it themselves. Uh, last weekend, my wife and I, uh, last Saturday, we celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Um, we, we were 13 when we got married. Uh, it, it, it was in Tennessee, so it was legal, okay? Um, and, uh, but we did that, so that was Saturday. On Sunday, I celebrated my 59th birthday, okay? Yeah, thank you for that too. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, God bless us, all right? And so the thing about it is, every time I look in the mirror, I see the reality that I am not the same man that married 39 years ago. My body tells me that, my physical appearance tells me that, that understands that, and so, the question that the Corinthians were asking is an incredibly legitimate one. 
If we plant these dead bodies, because Paul says the way you look forward to the resurrection is to have this body buried and one day it will produce a resurrection body. What, what kind of body, what kind of body can come from a decaying dead body? I mean, that's a great question, right? I mean, is it the zombie apocalypse? Is that what comes out of the grave? Is it some kind of undead kind of being? What can come from a dead body? So Paul says, look, think about seeds. I, I am not the greatest guy when it comes to agriculture and horticulture and everything. I have a very simplistic view of things. There are trees, there are vegetables, there are flowers, there are bushes, and there's grass. <laughs> I have just exhausted my entire knowledge of all of that. But here's what I do know. When you go to uh, one of those places that sells seeds, you'll go and there'll be a packet of, of seeds. And on the outside of the packet, there's a picture of what you're buying, you know, whether it be a, a, a rose plant or some kind of azalea or whatever. But when you open up the packet, that's not what you see in the packet, is it? You see seeds, right? You, you see these things that don't look at all like what the outside packet looks like. But when you plant them and when you water them and you have the right kind of soil and the right kind of sunlight and everything, eventually that seed dies but then it germinates and produces this beautiful outgrowing of whatever it was intended because the DNA of what that plant is was already in the seed, but to see it, it had to die. And Paul says, that's a picture of who we are. You and I, even though on the outside we are not in resurrection bodies yet, we have all the DNA, as it were, the spiritual DNA that is necessary for us to produce a resurrection body. And then he says, hey, look at all the kinds of different flesh there are on the earth. They are all unique to its specific needs. We humans have a certain kind of flesh that fits our needs. Birds have a certain kind of flesh that fit its needs. Fish and animals, we all have different kinds of flesh that fit us for our purposes that God intended and for the glory of God. And then he talks about the heavenly bodies, right? The sun and the moon have each its own unique beauty and glory to them. Uh, wasn't it cool just a few weeks ago where we had the blood moon, right? Where the shadow of the earth passed over the moon and it changed colors into that blood color. I mean, just think, that's God's fingerprints that shows us there's a uniqueness to each of these beautiful things that God has created for his purpose. And so one of the things I get out of that is when we gather together, each of us is a unique creation of God with a unique story to tell. And yet what God does is he takes all of these collective stories to point to his glory because he's telling a story of his goodness and of his grace in all of our lives. And it doesn't matter how we started. We can all tell our story and so many of us have started from so many different ways and different places with different attitudes and ideas. Maybe some of us were atheists. Maybe some of us were in other kinds of, of churches. Maybe some of us didn't even give a rip about church, but God has done a work in our hearts that has brought us here so that now, even though our start was different, how we finish up, we are all going to be with the Lord forever. This is what the story of the church is. It's the story of God bringing individuals with their own unique needs, changing their hearts 
so that now we are one body and one people in Christ. We may have different starts, but we all have one final destination that will be for our good and for his glory. And so this better ending points to something that's coming. Now, let's face it again. Our current bodies reflect the condition of the fact that we are humans and that we are not yet in resurrection bodies. We age. We get older. We are people that do that. And Paul says that these bodies have three conditions. One, he says they are sown in corruption, which means that we face death and decay. Uh, You guys come to church to be encouraged, but the reality is if Jesus tarries, each one of us are gonna face death. That's because of this natural body we have. It's sown in corruption. We also, he says, are sown in dishonor. We dishonor God, how? By not living for his glory in everything we do. And then it also says that we are sown in weakness, which means that we are easily given to sin. We all struggle with this sin nature that expresses the weakness we have in trying to follow the things of God. And even those of us who are believers, we know how hard it can be to overcome temptation, how hard it is to overcome our own flesh. That is the weakness in which we are sown. But like that seed that produces something beautiful and wonderful, Jesus says through Paul that these bodies will one day erupt with a body that will not decay or die. He calls that we will be free from corruption. We will be incorruptible. I mean, won't it be cool to live on earth where there is no cancer, where there is no disease, where there is no war, where there is no poverty, where there are no more itises like bursitis and arthritis and all of that kind of stuff? That's the day we look forward to. But the only way we can enjoy that is with a resurrection body that is incorruptible. We also will be raised with a body that will always give glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you do it to the glory of God. But we don't always do that, do we? We always fail in giving him glory for everything. But Paul says this new body will be raised and it will be raised glorious. And on the new earth, every thought we think, every mouth or word we speak, and every action we do will all bring glory to God all the time. It's a day to look forward to, isn't it? And then he also says that this body that was sown in weakness will be raised in power, which means we will be free from all the effects of sin. No more temptation, no more weakness of our flesh, no more evil desires, no more hurting our neighbor, no more uh, sarcasm, no, maybe a little. Um, You know, no, no wrath, no malice, no slander, none of the things that we see in this world that just blows our minds. There'll be no more school shootings. There'll be no more wars. There'll be no more poverty, all because the effect of sin is removed because of these resurrection bodies. This is what we're looking for. So we look at this body and we say, but it's, it's decaying. It's not what it should be. Yes, but it's pointing to something better that's coming. And that coming is the resurrection. So our bodies right now aren't what they should be, but our new bodies will be one day Spiritual bodies is what Paul says. We're sown as natural bodies. We are raised spiritual. Now, spiritual doesn't mean we're going to be ghosts, okay? It doesn't mean we're going to be phantoms. In fact, when you think about Jesus, remember his resurrection body. 
Jesus had a body that could eat. It was a body that could be touched. You remember when Thomas saw Jesus and Jesus said, look, touch my hands, touch my side. You know I'm not a ghost. When Jesus was on the shoreline and Peter and some guys were fishing and they came back, Jesus ate food with them. Why? Because our resurrection bodies will be substantive. We won't be ghosts on this earth. We will have real bodies that will enjoy real life without any effects of the incorruption that we currently have. Well, how do I know this? How can I make that promise? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter one that we now have the Holy Spirit that is both a seal and a down payment of things yet to come. The Spirit living within us reminds us that there's something better coming. You ever felt that longing? You ever felt that longing? Hey, God, some people say, this is man, this is your best life. If it is, don't you want a refund? Yeah, I mean, there's some really great things in life. There are really some good things in life, but there's a lot of heartache here, a lot of struggle. And we don't run from the struggle, but the struggle reminds us that there's something better coming. And so when we live for Jesus now, when we sing songs that thrill our hearts, when we serve people and see God work in their lives, when we see people changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of that is just a foretaste of something that's yet to come. It is a forward look at what the new earth is gonna be like, which is why we should long for it every day even more and more. Next part, verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. A lot of non-believers think that we believe in fairy tales as believers, as Christians. There are a lot of people who look at the Bible and say it's just full of a bunch of fairy tales and just a lot of things like that. But there are some Christians who believe that as well, which leads so many of us to dismiss the importance of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, especially Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Because those 11 chapters set the stage for everything that comes afterwards. How do we know Jesus is the last Adam? Because there was a first Adam. How come we need a savior? Because we have sinned in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell because of their rebellion against God. And because of that, now we need someone to rescue us out of our bondage to sin. This is what Genesis 1 through 11 takes us to. And so Paul's gonna be talking about this first Adam and the last Adam, Jesus. Which Corey said this last week, and I just wanna reiterate it again, that we are people who believe in all the Bible, not just the New Testament, okay? If you understand the Bible, you understand that if there's a New Testament, why is it new? Because there was an Old Testament. We are under the new covenant. Why? Because the, there was an old covenant that now has passed with the coming of Jesus. We need the Old Testament to prepare us for what Jesus has done and what he is doing. And so remember that. Don't skip over when you're doing your read your Bible through a year and just read New Testament. Read the Old Testament. If you need to, skip over Leviticus. It's okay. And, you know, but it's, it's stuff that we need. And so with that thought, 
we recognize that every one of us, we owe our existence to Adam and Eve, okay? Adam was created by God. Remember Genesis 1 tells us, 1 and 2 tells us that he took dust from the ground, shaped it into man, breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being, a living soul. Then he took the rib of Adam and he created a woman from that rib, gave her to Adam, which was the first wedding. And when he saw Eve, he said, whoa, man. Yes, luckily this is the last time I'll share that. (laughs) But we see in them who we are, but we also see in their rebellion the fact that we are rebels too. And a lot of times we don't like to think about that, but we live naturally through Adam's existence. And a lot of people, we, we forget that, that we all have one common parents. One common set of parents, it's Adam and Eve, which interconnects all of us. We all both bear the image of God, but we also bear the image of our first father, Adam. But then Paul says that we needed a second Adam because the first Adam plunged us into this natural living apart from God. We need a spiritual Adam to now deliver us so that we can live the way God intended for us to live, to live spiritually. And we can do that through Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we are people who are corrupted. And why does this corruption come? Well, it comes from Adam and Eve, and it passes all the way down into the point where we are created within the wombs of our mother. And this new existence that we have David says in Psalm 51, it is starts off that we are born with a sin nature. Now, we come into existence at that moment of conception. There are some belief systems out there that say that we have always existed eternally. Well, there's only one who has existed eternally, and that's God. But we have been created specifically by God for his glory. But we fall short of that, and it starts at birth. Now, when we talk about things like our sin nature, a lot of people struggle with that because they think that people are born basically good. And what I say to that statement, you think we're born basically good, have you ever worked with (laughs) two-year-olds? Now, my Echo people, they don't like it when I talk about this, so I'm gonna use this as a commercial. We need your help working with those sinful two-year-olds, okay? (laughs) But here's, here's what I mean by this. When you take your son, Johnny, to the nursery at two years of age, Johnny always gets in trouble, by the way. You take Johnny there and you say to Johnny, now, Johnny, here's what I need you to do. When you go in and you see Susie playing with a toy that you want, you go over, you jerk it from her hand, you hit her over the head with it, and you say, mine. Do you, get, you got that, Johnny? Yeah, Daddy. Okay, go get him. Do any of us have to say that to Johnny? No, what do we have to say to him? Now, Johnny, look, if, if Susie's playing with the toy, don't jerk it from her. And if she comes and wants your toy, share with her. But why do we have to teach them that even at two years of age? Because they already are showing that they are affected by the sin of Adam, which means we need someone to deliver us from this. We need someone that can deliver us from our shame and our guilt and our sinful tendencies. And God is gracious to give us his son to do just that. 
Where we were born in iniquity, the Bible says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, that he then grew and lived a life that you and I could not live without any hint of sin, and that he died as our substitute, taking the wrath of God for us. And if we will repent and believe in him, we can be delivered from our sin and we can live forever with him. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. And this is why we need a savior. And so we need a better Adam. The last Adam, Jesus, is the one who has existed eternally. He took on flesh and he came as a human being so that we could reconnect to God. So you have actually a choice. You can stay connected to the first Adam, the one, the natural Adam, And you can live according to your sin. You can live according to your passions that are against what God wants for you. And that is your choice. Every single one of us has that choice. But if we continue to reject Jesus and live according to our first father, Adam, we will experience eternal death. The only way our humanity can be redeemed is if we turn our back on our natural father and we receive our supernatural savior the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that we have. So Paul says that as we bear the image of the first Adam, we can also bear the image of the last Adam. But it's your choice. Again, you can stay in your guilt and your shame, or you can repent and believe in Jesus. And when you do that, you have the promise that in the same way Jesus rose from the dead, you too will raise with a new body and be like him. And by the way, just as a thought here, Jesus's resurrection was unique in obviously so many ways, but unique in this one specific way. His was a true resurrection body. Every other person that came back to life in the Bible was resuscitated, not resurrected. So let's think about Lazarus. You remember Lazarus was the friend or the brother of Mary and Martha. He died. Jesus shows up four days later. They say he's already decaying. Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out, waddles in his grave clothes. They set him free. But here's the difference. Lazarus, guess what? Still had to die a second time. We forget about that, don't we? We love to read the resurrection stories. Oh, Jesus rose him from the dead so they could die again. Jesus rose, though, to never die again. That's what he rose. He rose victorious over death and hell and sin and Satan. And because of that victory, if we will trust in him, we can be people who will be free from the consequences of our sin, and we can have the real hope that's available in Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we talk about biblical hope, as a reminder, it's not like I hope it doesn't rain today. Hope in the biblical sense, is a rock-solid assurance that the promises of God are true and will come to pass. And if he says, if I trust in him, I'll have a resurrection life, it is a guarantee. So our hope isn't, well, I hope it comes true. It will come true. And that's the difference between our hope and the others of the world. Next part. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. 
For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So these bodies, Paul says, right now as they exist, are not fit for the new earth. Why? Because we are people who are still entrapped by our sinful flesh and the desires of that sinful flesh. We are still natural bodies. This new world that God is preparing for us is described in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, where John sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and God's dwelling will be with his people. And it will be a place without any hint of sin and any of sin's corruption. There will be, again, no more death, no more heartache, no more famine, no more tornadoes, no more tsunamis, no more wars, no more poverty, no more needing to raise money to feed people. Everybody's needs will be met in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that will be eternally removed, and we will live on a new earth free from all of that. But the only ones who get to have that joy of that existence are those who bear the image not of the natural man, but of Jesus, the new Adam. We must have him. So the decision that you make now will have eternal consequences, whether you get to live on this new earth in a resurrection body, or you live in the eternal death that is separation from him. And so there are only two ways you're gonna see Jesus, friends. You will either see him at death or at his coming again. That's, that's, that's our only two options. And most of us don't like to think about death, but unless Jesus delays his return, that's what's gonna, or, or comes before he does, if he delays his return, every single one of us in this room will one day face death. And I know that's not something you like to hear about in church to be reminded of, but the reality is that we must be prepared to see Jesus, whether he comes in the clouds or whether he comes for us on our deathbed. We all should live in a state of readiness because Paul says that if Jesus comes in the clouds, it will be like the twinkling of an eye. It will be an immediate moment. It could happen in this moment right now that I say one more word and then Jesus comes. Okay, I'll continue, okay? So Jesus is promising us that that is going to happen. So Paul says what will happen is when the trumpet sounds that the dead in Christ will rise first, and receive resurrection bodies, we who are alive will also rise to meet Jesus in new resurrection bodies. And then God will turn this new this world into a new world that will be free from all the effects of sin and will live on this new earth in resurrection bodies that bear Jesus's image. We've got to live for his return, again, whether it's in death or it's in his second coming. But when Jesus does return, there will be no more death. When Jesus returns, death will be cast into the lake of fire. And he says right now, death has a sting, but the sting of death is only for those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because the sting of death is sin. 
But we who are believers in Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven, our guilt has been removed, and we know that when we die, we will be in the presence of God because the Bible promises to be absent from the body means we are present with the Lord. That's why Paul could say things like, you know, I know to stay with you guys is really important, but I really long to go be with Jesus. And so we still have funerals until Jesus comes again. This coming Friday will be one year that we buried, uh, my dad actually passed away. He passed away a year ago. And I've done over 100 funerals, including family and my dad's funeral. And when you go to the, a funeral, there are people who grieve, and it's okay to grieve when we lose someone. That's okay. We, Paul says that we can grieve, but we grieve with hope. Why? My favorite kinds of funeral are those where I do a funeral for a believer and for the family that are believers. Because here's what I get to say. When we lay that body in the ground or when we take that urn or where we scatter the ashes, whatever it is we do, we're not saying goodbye. We're simply saying, see you later. Because the hope of the gospel is that there is a separation for a moment, but then we will be reunited with our loved ones if we are in Christ. And so that's why that funerals, yes, they can be grieving opportunities, but they can also be opportunities to make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So death entered the world when sin entered the world. That was never God's intention that we would die. In fact, there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve could have eaten had they fulfilled the promises that God had for them. But because they rebelled, they were taken away from that so they didn't live eternally in their sinful condition so that they could have hope. But God's law, again, exposes the fact that we are sinners. God's law exposes that we are people who need a savior. Whenever you read the Bible, it's like a mirror that points out the imperfections of how you think, how you speak, and how you live. We need those reminders to point out our need for a savior. So every time we see death and every time we're at a funeral, it should be a reminder that without Christ, death would get the final say. It would still have a sting in its action. But here's what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us that death doesn't get the final say. It teaches us that the grave doesn't get the final say. It teaches us that sin doesn't get the final say. It teaches us that Satan doesn't get the final say. It teaches us that disease, cancer, war, famine, Politicians, none of these get the final say. Jesus does, and he overcame death and hell for us so that we can have life and have it abundantly. He turns graves into gardens. And so what do we do with all this? Well, just the last verse of chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, we have to figure out what it's there for. And the reason he closes with this verse is everything that he said beginning in verse one of chapter 15, when he talked about the gospel. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to Corey's sermon. It was really an amazing opening of what God was intending to do through Paul's writing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we are to stand in. 
And because we stand in the gospel, we have this hope of resurrection so that now it has real world implications, everyday effects. Because if our hope is in the finished work of Jesus, which it should be, and if our hope is that one day we will see Jesus face to face, and we will, and if our hope is that death has no more hold on us, and if our hope is that we will be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected, then we should be people who live peculiar, countercultural lives in the midst of a culture that desperately needs to see the good news of Jesus. Think about this, friends. There were 120 people in the upper room in Acts chapter one who were praying, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. These were men and women who were fearful for their very lives because they were afraid that they would be arrested and crucified just like Jesus was. But something changed in them. The Holy Spirit came upon them 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, and they began to go out into the highways and the byways of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He can save you from your sins. Trust in him. And they didn't care about imprisonments. They didn't care about death. They didn't care but being the witnesses that Jesus Christ had called them to be. And those 120 people changed the world. You realize we are sitting here as descendants of those faithful first few who were unafraid to stand before kings and Caesars and judges and anybody and say, Jesus is Lord. What does our world need today? It needs the same kind of people who are unafraid of death, who are unafraid of what other people think. We need to go against the culture that is before us and preach and proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The very souls of the people that we interact with every day depend on us. I mean, you recognize, friends, that every person you come into contact with, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are bound for an eternal death. Well, how can they be saved? Through hearing the gospel and repenting and believing in it. Well, how will they hear the gospel? This is what we are here for. Jesus said, be salt and light. Let your light shine before men that they can see your good deeds so they can glorify your Father in heaven. We need to be people because of the resurrection who say, I fear no death. Why? Because death no longer has sting. Why? Because if you kill me, you do me a favor. I get to go be with Jesus. And by the way, if you kill me, you only kill this body for a little bit because one day it will be risen from the dead. What can you do with a person like that? So he says at the end in verse 58, be steadfast and immovable. So at the beginning of chapter 15, he talks about the gospel and he says, this gospel in which you've taken your stand. And so the stand that we take should be a call for the church to stand firmly and courageously, unashamed to say we are followers of Jesus. So my question is, do we take that stand? And let's face it, it's easy to do it when we're all gathered together, right? It's easy to do it when we do a worship night. It's easy to do it when we do a community cleaning day. We love to be together and show that wonderful family of God doing the work of God to the glory of God. That is easy to do. It's a lot harder when tomorrow morning you go to work. It's a lot harder when you go to your neighborhood supermarket. It's a lot harder when you go to be around people who think you're foolish. 
for believing what you believe. And yet, what must we do? We must take our stand in Jesus. So we have to stand against the tides of culture and sometimes even churches who do not proclaim this gospel. They actually don't. Do you know that there are people who say they love Jesus but deny that he died on the cross and rose from the dead? Or that you need Jesus to be a believer? They deny all of that. So the question for us is, are we gonna succumb to that fear and intimidation that people can throw at us or will we fight for the only truth that can set people free? And it is a fight, friends. It's not easy. It's not easy being persecuted. It's not easy being insulted. It's not easy being scorned, called foolish for what we believe. It's not easy at all. But Paul says, you need to be immovable and steadfast. Don't let the winds of culture shake your foundation in Jesus Christ. We need to stand boldly for him. And there's an old gospel song that says, we'll work till Jesus comes and soon we'll be going home. So what is the work that we need to do now? Well, Paul says we need to excel in the Lord's work. So there's a work that we're to do for the Lord until he returns that has eternal consequences that will matter for all eternity. Dear friends, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not stand with your resume of accomplishments on earth. You won't stand with your 401k. You won't stand with your education. You won't stand for all the things that you've done. You will only stand either in your own works, which are like filthy rags, or you'll stand in what Jesus has accomplished for you. But Jesus said that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. So where are the treasures we can lay up for Jesus in heaven? Well, who are the only ones that go to heaven? If it's not our stuff, it's our relationships. The treasure that you and I should be laying up is the relationships as we lead people to Christ, as we encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, as we serve together the body of Christ, as we take the good news of the gospel to this world that needs to hear it, and as we see more people come to faith in Christ, they get residence in heaven, so more and more treasure gets left over there because when we die and we stand before the Lord, we will be standing with other brothers and sisters who have believed as well. So you want to invest in treasure for heaven, invest in people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Serve the poor. Give of your time and of your talents and of your tithes to the glory of God for the good of people. That is how we do work that will last forever. That's how we excel in it. And Jesus says this through Paul, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Every tear you've shed, Jesus has seen it. And every insult you received, he's heard it. Every loss you've had, he's felt it. And every grief you've borne for his name, he's been there with you. But here's what the gospel tells us, that one day there's gonna be a great reversal. And every one of your lowest valleys will seem like nothing compared to what Jesus has for you. It will all be worth it. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, there's a lot pressing against us. But there is the abundant life that you can experience right now if you will trust in him. And Jesus promised this. He says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of you feel that every single day. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and may have it in abundance. The reason so many of us 
don't feel that abundant life is because we're not living sold out lives that say, I will die for the name of Jesus. I will give my all for the glory of God. I will spend my life for the good of people so that they may come to Christ. This is what the commitment is. This is not just let's have to make the most of this life. Paul said, if the resurrection didn't happen, that's when you eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. But the resurrection has happened and it has eternal consequences. How will we now live? And we must live this abundant life because we are unashamed and unafraid of death because the resurrection is true, it's coming, and we have hope. So how will you live? As one who's being stolen from, or you live as one who has this eternal hope, this abundant life. Would you bow your heads with me? And again, if you're a skeptic or you have questions about Christianity, Pastor Greg is gonna be on the side of the stage to my right over here by the drum cage. You can go over there and ask Greg any kind of question you wanna ask him. Maybe some of the things I've been talking about causes some questions in your mind and you're wondering, hey, this stuff that Mike's been talking about, can you, can you talk with me about that more? And if it's too long for y'all to talk there, he'll set up a lunch with you or coffee and you guys can talk more. Maybe you're here and you're in struggles with sin and maybe you just wanna to talk to someone about that. Maybe you have something you need to confess. We have men and women on both sides of the stage with whom you can pray. Maybe there's something you're going through right now and you just need hope and you just need someone that will take you by the hand and just offer up your struggle to the Lord. These are what these men and women are for. Maybe you're struggling financially, spiritually, however, they are here for you. All around the room today where you see a lamp on the table, there's bread and there's juice that remind us of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We do communion at the end of every service, but it's especially appropriate today as we've talked about the resurrection. Because when you take that piece of bread, touch it and feel it, you'll taste it in your mouth, you'll swallow it. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is in a tangible, physical, spiritual body right now, and one day you will see him physically. So let that piece of bread remind you of that hope that we have, not only that we will see Jesus in his resurrected body, but we will be resurrected as well. And the juice reminds us of the blood of Christ because the only way we can see Jesus is through the shed blood of Christ. He died for sinners, which is why we ask that if you're a believer, you can take communion if you have repented of your sins. Because to eat and drink celebrating Jesus's death for you so that you could be free from sin, while at the same time actively involved in sin, makes a mockery of what Jesus did. He didn't die so you could stay happy in your sin. He died so you could repent and be saved from it. And so rejoice in that. Our Father, we are grateful that we don't have to be people who believe in rainbows and unicorns. We believe in the reality that Jesus Christ lived perfectly according to all you commanded. He died as our substitute. He rose victorious over death in a resurrection body. He ascended into heaven. He's seated on his throne. And one day he will come again to receive us to, our, to himself where he is, we'll be too. 
So we should be unashamed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, unashamed to live for your glory in this culture and this community. So as we rejoice in all you've done for us, now help us out of what you've done for us to live for you, not to earn our salvation, but out of the great joy we have in being called your sons and daughters. And we ask that you'll do this for your glory through the powerful and wonderful name of our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. You can help yourself. Have a great rest of your day.